0: Full Service Radio programming is available on our website, fullserviceradio.org, and as a podcast, thanks to Simplecast. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Full
1: Service Radio. Listening to Pineapple Radio, broadcasting live from the line in LA with full service radio. I'm one of your hosts, Atara. And I'm your other host,
2: Ariel. And we're thrilled to be in Koreatown. Uh, this is actually our second time uh, doing a pineapple radio episode here at the hotel. We did one last summer with Helen Johansson from Helen's Wines. Um, but today's episode is all about rise and shine. Uh, We are celebrating LA's breakfast culture, which is one that we look to so often for inspiration. So uh, today we have um, smoothies, coffee, pastries, toasts, uh, and everything we could possibly want to eat. And we have an amazing group of people here. We have probably 50 people in the apartment suite right now.
1: Yeah, this is super special. We have never done uh, a Pineapple Radio performance with a live audience and It's very cool, we're experimenting, but it's awesome to be here. Uh, We'd love for our audience to say hello, so on the count of three, one, two, three. Hi! And Pineapple is in LA. This is such a special, proud moment for us. Uh, We have long dreamed about being here, and we are honored to finally have our outpost here in LA. So tonight is our launch event, Food as
2: Community, with an esteemed panel of women who build community through food. Um, and we wouldn't be here without the Line Hotel, specifically today for the radio show, but also in our launch in general. And I want to thank Gus and Sana um, and the entire food and beverage team here at the hotel for making this morning and
1: our stay possible. Absolutely. Um, and so we want to talk a little bit more about what we're doing on this show specifically. Uh, so as Arielle said, this is called Rise and Shine. It's all about breakfast because here at Pineapple, we literally go to bed dreaming about breakfast. Um, in addition to sunshine, immigrant led kitchens, natural wine, the eclectic food culture, we are so very into L.A.'s breakfast scene. It doesn't exist in D.C. the way it does here. It's so different. Um, And in L.A., breakfast is really more than the most important meal of the day. It's the way to set the tone for the day ahead. It's an opportunity to reflect on what we love about food uh, from the way it was made, the ingredients, the soil that nourished the ingredients, who grew the food, uh, the nourishing qualities, the flavor, the texture, everything. And so we're so excited to have a homage to breakfast today on radio. And so this is a different
2: format for this show because we're interviewing three guests um, for about a 15-20 minute segment per guest. Uh, We're honored to have Caitlin Sullivan, co-founder of Honey High, um, in the house. Uh, We have Ali Walsh, co-founder of Canyon Coffee, um, as well as Nicole Rucker, who is a co-founder of Fiona Bakery. And we will be introducing them more in depth um, before each of their segments.
1: Yeah. Um, so first up we have Caitlin of Honey High. Uh, hi. hi, hi, welcome, Woo. welcome Hello. Woo, Woo. <laughs> So I think a lot of you may know Honey High, uh, but uh, it's the hippest and most delicious cafe, which has a menu full of unique, inspired, fresh food that draws inspiration from diverse cultures and nutritional disciplines. It also happens to be available on Caviar, which is one of our partners uh, through our women-powered collection, where you can actually order and filter through the women-owned restaurants. So check that out. Uh, Welcome,
3: Caitlin. Hi, thanks for having
1: me, guys. Thanks for being here. Um, So, Caitlin, can you tell us a bit about Honey High and your journey towards opening the shop?
3: Absolutely. So, um, we opened Honey High in 2016, um, and it really was born out of necessity for my business partner, Casey, and I, because um, we both struggled with a lot of different health challenges and we started making our own food and we realized really quickly that if we wanted to participate in like this breakfast culture that you guys are talking about, we couldn't do it very many places. So we wanted to, we wanted to create a space where no matter, you know, what sort of restrictions or no restrictions at all you have, you can, you can eat at a place and feel really great about what you're doing for your body and the planet. And it's also really celebratory and joyous and fun to eat there too.
2: So how did you grow up around food and what was breakfast like in your childhood and pre-Honey High?
3: So I was spoiled rotten as a child because my mom is a chef. So I grew up, um, you know, and she's that just effortless sort of intuitive sort of chef that doesn't need a recipe and doesn't like seemingly doesn't need ingredients like there's like an empty pantry and somehow she makes this beautiful meal and so I was really spoiled but it it made me also sort of just have this inherent confidence when I'm cooking where I'm like no matter what it is I'm like oh I can figure it out so I grew up eating really balanced meals and um just sort of watching my mom put things together and that mm-hmm. was that's a big part of you know my culinary background is that I just watched her in the kitchen Awesome. And did you grow up in California? I grew up um, in Boulder, Colorado. So a a similar kind of vibe to California. But yeah, it's a very sweet little town. Nice. And what,
1: you know, on opening this shop in L.A. and kind of reflecting on this concept of the all-day cafe, how do you think L.A. is kind of like unique in
3: their breakfast culture? I feel like breakfast is all day in in LA. Like there's really no beginning and end to it and I feel the same way cooking at home. Like there's no point at which, you know, eggs go out you know, like can't be the main of a protein when you're having dinner or something like that. And I feel like that sort of all day cafe vibe really is is from Honey High or from Honey High. From California and from LA and it um it really lives here. So yeah.
2: How would you describe Honey High in your own words?
3: So Honey High is a—it's a, a little cafe that serves breakfast and lunch, and we serve um, craveable, sustainable, and comforting food. Something for everyone, no matter, you know, what part of your food journey you're on. Yeah, and one of the things
2: that I really love is you guys shop the you know, Farmer's Market, work closely with farmers um, in Southern California, but also beyond. Um, can you tell us about sourcing and your approach to that?
3: Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm also on a soil kick, so we can discuss that at length <laughs> Great. later. But um, yeah, we shop three times a week at the Farmer's Market. So we're in Santa Monica, we're in Hollywood, and we're at our local Echo Park Farmer's Market mm-hmm. as well. And um, that's really where we get you know the bulk of our inspiration for our food and it's what dictates you know the ingredients that we're using and um we're so lucky to live in california where we have access to this type of food year round um but yeah sourcing is something that is really really important to us at honey high and um So when it comes to, uh, obviously, farmer's market produce, that's where we're getting the majority of our produce. Um, And then meat, we're working with um, local farmers. So we use Marin Sun Farms for most of our meat. And um, our eggs come from a local farm as well that we get from the Echo Park Farmer's Market. So that sort of thing is... um, a really big part of our ethos at Honey High, um, and we know how much of an impact it has on soil to work with, you know, farmers who have regenerative practices and are focusing on those sort of things. And um, we're as as we grow, we're trying to really lean into those practices and do more and more of it because I think restaurants have such a tremendous influence and in buying power, and we really want to impact change in that way. Yeah. And have you and Casey been able to go to Source to visit some of these producers? Oh, yes. We're so lucky. So we went to, we got to go to Marin Sun Farms, um, which is up in Marin County. And it's truly the most idyllic place. It's like you've died and gone to heaven. There was like, (laughs) we showed up on the farm and there was like 20 Mm -hmm. beautiful dogs like running through a wild wild forest flower field and like the woman who owns um the woman who owns the the farm was pregnant with twins and it was just everything was so fertile and luscious and like gorgeous and they were so welcoming and we got to see where where the cows live and see a little bit of their operation and um yeah, it's a it's a really special thing, and we hope to do more and more farm visits. We work a lot with Sheerock Farms and um, Sabrina's farm up in Ohio. We'd love to go see. She she took a little bit of a hit in the fires, so um, she's bounced back. And you know, it's really great to have those connections with farmers, and that's why going to the, the farmers market is so so fun for us.
2: And how does your menu change like when you go to the farmers market? Because obviously things are different probably every week and so how do you change your menu
3: so um we we really just pay attention to what's going on at the market and we we've incorporated some some menu items that specifically give us a lot of freedom like we just launched um our Angelus salad which is an homage to the farmers market so it really is going to change weekly based on what we see at the market um Wiser Farms this Sunday and also today. If anybody has time to get there after this, has these beautiful variegated purple snow peas that mm-hmm. Alex Ooh. is only going to have for a short time. So it's really exciting to get you know get to see those special things that are only going to pop up for a little while and get to highlight them. Um, so yeah, that's we tr- we try and incorporate certain menu items, and then there's certain things that are always going to be on our menu that. Um, we're lucky enough to live in California and can get, you know, things like, you know, cucumbers and stuff pretty much year round. So Mm.
1: this is certainly the bounty. I think that's what we miss most about being back in D. You know, when we're in D.C., we really miss like having these ingredients available year round. Um, And speaking of which, uh, to all of our East Coast friends, how can we channel some of the
3: honey high spirit and approach to food in our home kitchens? That's a really good question. I think um, one of the things you can do is, when you can, with what you have available to you at your local farmer's markets, fill your plate with as many vegetables as you can. That's something that we really focus on, is using um, vegetables as the main and meat as more of a side in what you're eating. Um, Another thing that's really exciting about living in colder climates is, is the opportunity to use fermentation as a way for you to... Continue to have lots of veggies on your plate, even in the... So take advantage of the bounty in the summer that you get from your surrounding areas and try and store some of it and keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, another way that you can sort of bring Honey High into life in your own kitchen is we, we think a lot about nutrient density mm-hmm. um, and trying to get as many nutrients into your food as we can. So that's why we love color in our food because mm-hmm. it's... Um, that that usually means there's a lot of nutrition in it and so um one thing that you can do also i think is just think about simple nutritious switches like if you want to make a hash at home or something like that maybe use some sweet potatoes and some squashes in the winter time versus white potatoes or something like that and think about how you can pack it with even more nutrition love that
1: those are great tips fermentation for the win And I have one more question before opening
2: it up to the audience. And um, we asked this last night at our little gathering, but um, what is your vision for the food community in L.A.? And what do you want your role in it to be? So whether that's you as an
3: individual or as Honey High. So I think that um, one of the the biggest things that we want to do at Honey High is um, introduce more of an educational component. Um, Casey, who is not here, my business partner, but she is also, uh, she's a nutritionist and we have, uh, we both have a lot of lived experience with, um, you know, Incorporating nutrition into food. And um, so we'd like to do more workshops and things like that to educate our customers about, you know, some of the tips that we're talking about here. And also um, to go back to what we were talking about before, I think restaurants have such a tremendous um, buying power and such a tremendous influence on the type of food that's grown in California and the way that it's being grown. So impacting change with who you're sourcing from and um, making sure that you're talking to your farmers about how they're treating their soil and what they're doing to regenerate the soil is is something that we can really have a big impact on. And I'm really excited to have a, a platform to be able to to affect change in that way. So that's really, that's really something that we're focusing on in the next year is, is trying to have those conversations with farmers and making sure a lot of them are already doing amazing stuff. And I think there's some that can be doing more and that's really cool.
2: Amazing. And thank you for bringing a smoothie this morning. What smoothie did you bring?
3: So we brought the no FOMO, which is, you know, you miss out on nothing because it's essentially a salad with some fruit (laughs) And so you're getting everything that you want. It's a sweet treat, but also, again, super nutrient dense. So it's our house-made almond and pumpkin seed milk. There's some banana, mm-hmm. some mango, some mint, kale, spinach, avocado, uh, cinnamon, and chlorophyll. Yum. Everything. Everything you Everything. Want. Yeah. Exactly.
1: All right. We're going to open it up to the audience. Uh, does anyone here have a question for Caitlin? Don't be shy. Haley?
2: <laughs> hey, this is Haley. I'm the operations director for Pineapple and as a woman-run company at Pineapple and a woman-run company at Honey High, I'm curious right now how you see yourself supporting other women in the LA food scene and also in the future how you want to continue
3: supporting women. That's a great question. So. We have built a really incredible core team at Honey High of um, management and operations that's all women, and they are women who have more experience than us, and they're fantastic. Our manager and our operations director come from, um, you know, they worked for years at Home State and at Moza and lots of places in L.A., and they are really the driving force beto- behind why Honey High is doing well. And we're super lucky. And we've had, we've had um, management teams in the past that, that didn't work. And I think that the synergy of working with women, sometimes for us, it's just seemed to work really well. So, yeah.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions for Caitlin here? Come on up. Please introduce yourself, too. Hi. Hi. How's it going? am
2: Vasha. Um, I'm founder of Undo Magazine and several other things. I have a question to you about design, because I've noticed Honey High in the ad- design aesthetics. How important is design to you in telling your story?
3: So for us, we, one of the main reasons we opened Honey High was because it really serves as a medium for expression for Casey and I in all the things that are important to us, and Design for us is really important. It's how we express ourselves and how we're communicating, you know, to our customers about, you know, who we are and what we're all about. And um, it's really any designer who's ever worked with us um, probably has had an incredibly difficult time because we're so particular about what we want to the point where, like, when we were designing our logo, it was like Casey and I don't know how to use the the things that you design logos with but we were literally like cutting things (laughs) out and being like no the h gotta be like this and so and the graphic designer was like okay well why don't you just do it yourself this is great but um so to answer your question it's very important and um it's really fun it's a really fun expression and i think we just keep trying to hone in on it more and more and it's it's a really great great creative outlet for us too
2: yeah, I think you guys have done a great job. Thank so, you so job. much.
3: That yeah. means the world. Yeah,
1: you will. Thank you so much. All right, can we get a round of applause for Caitlin? Thank you for being here, Caitlin. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All righty. Next up, we have Allie Walsh from Canyon Coffee. Come on down. Yay. Hi, Allie. Welcome.
0: Hey, guys. (laughs) Thanks for having me. All
1: right. For those of you who don't know Allie Walsh, uh, we have been admiring her for quite some time, uh, from her entrepreneurial career to her business, combining modeling and starting Canyon Coffee, which is a company with a very laid-back, chill ethos with beautiful design, beautiful product. uh, And we are honored to have you here.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you.
1: Uh, This is Arielle here.
2: I worked for Stumptown Coffee at one point in my life, which was an incredibly transformative experience. Um, But I always felt like the brand was like too strong for me. Um, It was like, though I love the coffee and the story. um, It wasn't kind of my coffee sensibility or my branding sensibility and one of the things that's super resonated with me about Canyon um, is just you know the approach that you all have to coffee which is um, one with ease and style and uh, community
0: yeah that was important to us. that
2: was important for us awesome yeah so we're gonna get into it um, tell us about Canyon Coffee and how it started like why a coffee company
0: So Casey, who is my partner in Canyon, we met um, six years ago, and we always wanted to do something together. We we always had that when we first met, um, and I was modeling at the time, and Casey's a musician, still is a musician, and we, we loved always having coffee as our morning ritual. And something to always look forward to when we'd be traveling a lot or working a bunch. It was always something we, like, came home and did together. Or we would send each other coffee bags when we were tra- traveling. But ne- we never thought, like, a coffee company. You know, it was, ju- it was just, like, something we really were passionate about. And I think over time, that passion led to us being like, you know what? Maybe we should start roasting some coffee beans. <laughs> like, just like, literally, like, just like a fun project, I guess you could say, you know. And we were really good friends with a roaster at the time and James, who still works with us now, um, started roasting for us and the rest is history, yeah.
2: <laughs> and so when did you start? How long so ago? So we was that? started
0: this two and a half years ago, the same actually the same month and year as Honey High, Caitlin and Casey. Oh, yeah.
2: oh amazing. <laughs> um and what has the past two and a half years been like? Oh, it's been—it's a Casey. It's still
1: (laughs) cue the coffee grinding.
0: (laughs) So I mean, it's—it's honest. Like it's honestly been a dream situation. We've never expected it to be a full. Casey now does the coffee full time. I model still full time and do the coffee. So it's still we still we do everything from customer service to shipping to events to James is our roaster to the fun stuff, the work, you know, it's just, we're doing a lot. We have help, which is really amazing. Um, yeah, two, two and a half years. <laughs> awesome.
1: And why did you decide to go into coffee specifically? What is it about coffee that really drew you in?
0: Well, besides, we, we love, I love the community aspect of it. I love, like, this is so nice. It brings people, coffee always brings people together it's something Casey and I like I was saying like we always looked forward to when we were away from each other um I love the the taste I drink it black just one cup a day you know it's just something that we we always loved the ritual
1: and I I feel like coffee is still like kind of an opaque ingredient in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, from the flavor to the sourcing, it's, it's kind of complex. It's very complex, mm-hmm. a lot of nuance. And so what are some misconceptions about coffee uh, in terms of the flavor and the sourcing and things you would like people to know about coffee?
0: I feel like a lot of mis... I would say is that coffee's bad for you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I kind of get that a lot, some, like ask that a lot, like it's not that good for you. And I always ask those people, like, how much coffee were you drinking? Like, they were were drinking, like, six cups a day with sugar and milk. And, like, maybe, I don't know if that that would be the best thing for you. But I know coffee that's black, how I like to drink it. And, I mean, milk is fine. Just, like, in balance, you know, Um, is one of the highest sources of antioxidants that most people consume. It's also really good for your liver. It's good for... Your kidneys. It's good for your brain. It's good for overall. It makes you happy. There's so many benefits to it. I love that. I
1: feel like people don't uh, see coffee that way. That it's like a joyous thing. Yeah, it's
0: it really is. It really. I mean, even in places like Sweden, how they have fika, which is like you go you go to Sweden and Copenhagen, and they have you know most coffee shops are no no cell phones no computers and it's just like a moment to like be with your family or be with your friends and like hold conversation and it's just like a warm morning yes yeah, and it's ritual. just like a ritual and it's just yeah exactly certainly my favorite way
2: to wake up is yes. turning on my kettle making a chemex yes. um My partner will attest to, like, I get out of bed to do my coffee routine. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about sourcing. Yeah. Because coffee is actually the second most traded commodity in the world after petroleum. Right. And a lot of what the um, like specialty coffee like third wave coffee industry is trying to do is decommodify that supply chain mm-hmm. um, and I know you all work with a really great
4: sourcing yeah, partner We work with
0: um, sustainable Har- sustainable harvest which we've worked with since day one yeah um, and they are a company that we trust and we have a very like-minded flavor profile um, they care for the farmers they are certified or We've always had certified organic coffee, and they, that's like important to them as well. Um, so we have a lot of the like-minded uh, similarities with them. So, maybe.
2: and you guys work with them to source coffee from
0: Latin America as well as Africa, right? Uh, yes, yes. Um, we have Colombian, uh, Colombian bean right now, Ethiopian. We had just got coffee from Peru, and we started with a Guatemalan.
2: And we're drinking the Peru coffee yeah, this morning, so yeah, right? It's, we
0: just—it's brand new.
2: It's yeah. brand new. It's delicious. <laughs> and I think that's one of the other amazing things about like tasting coffee side by side is like, Oh yeah, we you... do a lot of cuppings. Yeah. We
0: at our new office space we've been doing. If anyone ever wants to come to a cupping, they're yes. really. It's basically just like if you've been to a wine tasting, yeah. it's the same as coffee cupping for different beans. It's fun.
2: And so just tell us briefly like what would be the difference? Like I know right now you have a Peruvian coffee, a Colombian coffee and an Ethiopian coffee. Like what would be some hallmark differences between the three?
0: I would say right now, because, you know, sometimes the profiles can change a little bit. But totally. our Colombian would be, for me, it's a little bit more of like a medium body. Um, it's a little bit more uh, stronger, where the Limu which is our Ethiopian, is a little bit more of a light roast. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome.
1: And I think... Uh, you know, the, the coffee culture, there's, like, a lot of innovation uh, to be explored from, you know, how the beans are made, where they're sourced from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of, you know, a, a lot of us have come across coffee culture that can be a little bit elitist as well. Right. So what's one thing about coffee culture that you wish you could change? Um, and, you know, what's your vision for coffee?
0: Yeah. So that's also how Casey and I started the coffee company was because we felt that it was a little... Uh, like masculine it felt very like yeah masculine kind of like a motorcycle theme or like dark or we wanted to make a pretty package that you were happy to see on your kitchen counter and something that was a little more feminine or um to be a beautiful packaging so for us that was really important to kind of go like to change it up a little bit than what we were kind of seeing that was out there for sure it's definitely a a macho culture so it's cool to see
1: that right And and it could
0: be it could be um approachable it doesn't mean it shouldn't be too intimidating to make a cup of coffee you can if you have v60 or a chemex or even if you like using your coffee machine that's what my mom uses at home and we still love making coffee that way it's not something that can be too um intimidating
1: Awesome. That is a great segue to our next question. Um, and we love the idea of uh, that, like coffee doesn't need to be highbrow. Yeah. And no. you can enjoy it however you're comfortable. Um, so, what's your favorite way to prepare coffee in the morning? And do you have any tips and tricks for people who are setting up their own
0: brewing ritual? Um, I love using the V60 or a Chemex, is what I like to do the best. Um, I would say investing in a nice grinder to me, has always been the, the best and nicest way to make coffee. You can set, if you're going to set for a V60 or French Press or Chemex, you kind of have the grinding options, which is really nice. Um, that would be my f- my trick or my tip. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Yes. Awesome.
0: Um, a good um, bag of beans, too. Good <laughs> bag of beans. That's essential. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Um, where can our audience find Canyon Coffee, and how can they get their own bag of beans? So...
0: We are on bar at Honey High, with Caitlin, and we have, we sell online as well, and locally around here, I would say we're in Air One, the Air Ones, and uh, Midland Shop, but mostly online, Canyon Coffee's website. And you just partnered on a new cafe, right? Yeah, it's called Neighborhood. It just opened in West Hollywood.
1: I got to go there on Monday. It's really cute. Check it out. Yeah. Um, Cool, all right, we're gonna open it up to the audience. Who's got a question? Come on, on. yeah. And please introduce yourself as well. I'm Sehi, hi, Hi, Allie.
0: So
2: I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about your future roasting operation, the things coming up.
0: Okay, so Casey and I have always had a a dream of having our own uh, roasting facility. And it would basically be because right now we basically like it's like a a toll roasting. So we where we roast, we rent the space and we roast once a week and we have an office separate. So this space that we would love to have would be a full roaster, a full shop, um, magazine stands, books, just a beautiful little cafe. But the roasting facility would be like in the back so you could see it. So yeah, that's that would be a dream of ours one day. Thanks, A. Thank,
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Ali. Yeah, of course. Can we get a round of applause? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up we have Nicole Rucker. Come on down. up so that the audience can hear you as well. I'm a loud talker. Okay. Professional loud talker. (laughs) All right. Hello, Nicole. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Hi. For those of you who don't know Nicole, I think many of you will. Uh, She is an award-winning baker who previously led the magical baking program at Justa. Um, and has now opened up her own spot Fiona where she showcases everything from homemade Pepperidge Farm Milano cookies to her famous luxurious sesame butter toast and Vietnamese fare. Arielle and I got to check it out on Monday and it was like one of the best meals we've had in LA. It was delicious and such a special experience. Thank you. Um, Nicole can you tell us a little bit about your journey to Fiona and what the experience has been like opening and running your cafe and bakery? Uh, that has an emphasis of self-expression according to LA Mag? So uh, I knew that I was going to open a bakery
4: cafe one day and I you know in college thought about it like I was an art student I did like journaling about a waffle shop I (laughs) had no idea how to make anything other than like the food that my family taught me how to make so I practiced and practiced and read lots of books and I, I had this vision in mind definitely, but then, um, when we set out to find a space, there were hurdles and it was like a real, like putting your feet in the fire, like figure it out, do something, keep moving, keep the momentum up. And at that same time, my vision started to shift because I met Sean Pham, who is my creative partner and, um, Can I have some water? I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I met Sean Pham and he's a really close friend of mine and he had a restaurant called Simbal in downtown, which was a Southeast Asian restaurant. And unfortunately, that place closed. And Sean and I both had a lot of free time at the same time. So we started going to lunch together. And um, as friends, we figured out that, like, we have a very similar vision for what voices and food we wanted to showcase. So my original vision of like a Eurocentric um, California bakery then started to morph into this other vision, which was highlight Sean's amazing Vietnamese cooking that we can then blend with my American baking. And it turned into something that is maybe a little bit weird, but we're kind of doing the opposite of the all-day cafe, by the way. All-day, literally, breakfast, lunch, and dinner And we're kind of taking the reverse option of, like, breakfast for dinner and removing it kind of, like, in the other direction. So something we found when we first opened just by putting um, these things on the menu is that in the winter, people will eat Vietnamese beef stew for breakfast and chicken soup for breakfast. And you didn't know you wanted it because it (laughs) wasn't on a menu. (laughs) And so we kind of, like, by accident and by just, like, sheer – I don't know. Maybe we were tired. (laughs) I have no idea. We just kind of, like, flipped it. And now people are eating egg uh, banh mi with chicken liver and mousse at 9.30 in the morning and beef stew. And, you know, you can also get cherry pie at 9 in the morning. So (laughs) you've got – Dinner for breakfast. We're very confused. <laughs> that's that's basically where we exist, in a place of confusion. You've got <laughs> all
2: the options. I'm
4: a big sweet
2: tooth myself, so when we went and I could have pie for Monday brunch, I was like, this is living my best life right now. Yes. <laughs> um, as well as a passion fruit curd donut. Is oh, that yeah. what we had? Yeah. So good. Um, plus the cabbage chicken salad and a, like sweet potato pancake With fried egg and lardon. It was Mm -hmm. epic. Um, Tell us about your favorite um, breakfast growing up. Okay. So,
4: (coughs) excuse me. Growing up, I grew up in a, uh, like a latchkey kid situation. Um, My mom worked and um, we were pretty poor. We were also, our family is mostly Native American and Mexican. So, we ate a lot of really savory stuff for breakfast, um, which makes sense to me now why I'm into the kind of breakfast I'm into when I was eating like chorizo and potatoes and like hot salsa at like 7 a.m. when I was a kid. Um, But we ate a lot of kind of just like typical poor people food, I would say. Um, We did have like Uh, cream of wheat, which was very popular. I'm pretty old. Cream of wheat was very popular in the 80s. I used to eat that
1: growing up as
4: well. (laughs) I loved it. I would also eat it at 8 o'clock at night if we didn't have anything else to eat, so it's functional in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was lucky that most of my mornings, uh, my mom would bring us to my grandma's house in Chula Vista and she would make us breakfast before my aunt walked us to school, and my grandpa had a huge garden, Um, so while we didn't have like a bounty of things that we purchased from a store because we didn't have the money Mm. we had a seasonal bounty of things that were grown for us most of them to be honest were like corn and like really hot peppers so my palate for spicy food was like from the get
1: yeah Awesome. And what's your favorite breakfast now? Has that evolved or are you still eating potatoes, chorizo and salsa for breakfast? I
4: I try not to eat potatoes, chorizo and salsa (laughs) a lot. Um, but I think that these days I'm still on like a, I, I do eat pretty savory stuff for breakfast still. I don't enjoy sweet things first thing in the morning at all. Um, and so I will go for some, if it's an option on a menu, I will go for something that's like hot, spicy, um,
1: salty. Awesome. Yeah. Uh you're speaking my language for sure. <laughs> um so I think people in this room will know you uh by your uh, you know, pastry prowess. Mm-hmm. Uh for someone who loves savory food, how did you get into pastry and what did that journey look like for you? Um I got into baking and pastry when I was in art school, and I started
4: baking uh, at first to make things to take photographs of because I was in a photography program in the Bay Area. And, you know, again, this was, you know, late 90s, early 2000s when, like, there was a lot of early kind of, like, food-related feminist art happening. And, you know, I was there with my shaved head and, you know... My first tattoos making cakes that said, you know, like naughty words on
3: them.
4: <laughs> and I can't even say them now. That's how you, you know say the C word uh, Things like that. Uh, you know, and then like taking photos of them. So that's kind of how I started baking and then I kind of realized, um, you know, we would have critiques and then you would all get to eat the stuff that I made and I was like, Oh, this is the better part I like that part more. <laughs>
0: Uh, and
4: started uh, trying to bake more. I knew before I graduated from college, I knew that I wasn't going to be a photographer. Mm. And I walked down the aisle in my cap and gown, knowing full well that I was never going to pursue this as a job.
1: I think we have a lot in common. I, I went to art school for photography, graduated with the exact same mentality, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was it's
4: like, funny. I'm never going to be anyone's assistant, like a photo yeah. assistant. That sounds—that's a tough job, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very. I do, job.
2: I do want to see those photos that you did in college,
4: though, too, of the yeah. cakes. So maybe <laughs> we, can we can resurface
1: those. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I,
4: I wish I was meticulous enough to like be a good archivist and save negatives, but not in my DNA. All right. Mm.
2: Well, there's beautiful art at Fiona. I think it's Thank one you. of the first things I noticed upon walking in. Was. Yeah, great light pastry case but also like so many interesting pieces of art across the space
1: thank you including like a literal potato sack that's framed in this beautiful frame like Mm -hmm. as a centerpiece of the restaurant which Mm -hmm. is yeah really cool
4: yeah right across (laughs) from a a photo of the 1968 democratic national convention riots (laughs) where you know The hippies are protesting and the police are throwing like in gas masks, throwing like smoke bombs at them. So did you choose each piece of art for the space? Yeah, my husband is a graphic designer and he's collected a lot of it and he's had it in a flat file in my office for Many years, And when we opened, it was just kind of like second nature to me that we would fill the room with art, which I realized after the fact is not on trend anymore. Like, people don't put a lot of art up in restaurants mm-hmm. at this point in time. Um, so we just kind of filled it and pulled everything out. And he found this frayed, falling apart um, poster that his parents bought in 1969 after the riots. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that is a violent and awesome and like hard to look at image and I'm going to put it in the middle of the dining room because that's who I am
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> lots to lots to take in for sure um, so speaking of inspiration because I feel like some of the art is certainly inspiration for you like how do you find inspiration for um, your baking as well as your
4: business mm-hmm. so my inspiration for my business is always the people that I'm working with. My inspiration currently at Fiona, like every single day is how can I push Sean's voice further out? He's not naturally a person that pushes himself into the limelight. And I want to push that voice out. I want to push the voices of my pastry cooks out and like give them creative freedom. Um, so people in this space and in my life that work with me are my inspiration there. Um, When I'm creating a new recipe, right now my job is more of a facilitator. So sometimes I struggle with that and sometimes I wonder, like, how am I going to start? And I find, you know, the other night I could not sleep and I was just, like, really full of, like, I want to start a thing. and I don't know what the thing is. Um, I want to, I mean, it was, like, something dumb, like making a new croissant, (laughs) which I should be able to do, but I couldn't wrap my head around, like... What's it going to be? What's it going to look like? What's it going to taste like? What are the ingredients? How am I going to work it into the schedule? And I could not sleep, and I was, like, laying awake thinking about this stuff. And I went downstairs, and I got, like, pens out, and I literally did, like, a a word association about baking. (laughs) (laughs) And then I could go to sleep. And then the next day I went in, and the first thing I did was make a beeline for an open bench Um, workbench in Fiona and I just started doing something that wasn't the thing that I was supposed to be working on I started just rolling out pie dough because the act of like the muscle memory of creating something sometimes is a catalyst for the other things that need to come out so it's sort of like uh getting in the zone or getting in a trance and like I rolled out like 50 pie doughs and crimped them all and filled the freezer and the pastry cooks were like why are you doing that And like man I just need to <laughs> um, and then by the end of it, I was like, "Okay, I'm here at this place where now I can think about this croissant that I want to make." Uh-huh.
3: Wow, it was
4: a two day process.
3: <laughs> that it's, is,
4: I love that. It's hard when you're a business owner to find that space and yeah. return to it again and again and again. And it doesn't. It's not like a light switch anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to. You have to like. It's like making romance,
2: (laughs) you know, you got to do so many other things,
4: occupying your time, your
2: space, your thought that you need to really do what you can
1: to bring it out. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's inspiring for us learning about your creative process. We, you know, grapple with this all the time, which is like we're really bogged down with like the day to day TDM of the business that, you know, things that really need to get done, uh, but really trying to be back in this space where we're creative and continuously evolving and innovating. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: So that's cool. Maybe Um, we need to roll out some pie dough.
4: Roll out pie dough, or (laughs) um, I don't know if you have the ability to, but, like, if you can get a hammock, and anyone who follows me on Instagram will know I talked a lot about the hammock life
3: Mm.
4: before (laughs) I opened Fiona. There's something, uh, my therapist told me that... uh, oh, man, now my brain is fried, but um, Albert Einstein did a lot of his best work when he was, like, his ideas came to him pre, pre-nap. Mm. So, like, in the space just, just after laying down, just before a nap, because I was expressing to her that in a hammock, I would lay in the hammock and something about it, I would just be like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. same time mm. as, like, sort of, like, traffic sometimes. Everyone should have a hammock if they're a creative person. <laughs> And you lay in it, and it happens. I'm serious. Like the advice I've given to other people when they're like, "Why are you in a hammock so much?" I'm like, "Because I need to think about stuff." It happens there.
1: I love that. I'm a big shower dreamer. Oh actually. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's cool. I guess we bad for get a your water grill. bill. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Can't do shower um, dreaming in California. California. We're in a drought. Okay. Very true. Very Not true.
1: Not in D.C. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nicole, that was awesome and inspiring. Thank you so much. Um, We're going to open it up to the audience. Come on down. We'll get you after, Alicia. Good morning.
2: morning. I'm Pat. Um, So I feel like you kind of live on a contrast of, like, personalities and things you do from, like, art to, like, bakery. And I feel like when you're opening a business, kind of, like, a lot of times people will tell you, like, you need to be, like, have a singular focus and, like, the contrast is bad. But it really works for you and it's really, like, it's attractive in a way. Did you fight that when you first started doing that or were you like embracing that? Because I just feel like you get a lot of feedback
4: sometimes that like, you know, like don't be on two ends of the spectrum, but it's beautiful with you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so happy it appears that way. (laughs) (laughs) The truth is that um, one, being a business owner means that you have to, if you can't do this, if you can't find a way to do this, then you cannot be a business owner. You open the door to a level of criticism that you need to let wash over you. And the stuff that sticks is the stuff that you respond to. There are expectations that people place on you based on your gender, your race, your past history. Mine is pie; it sticks to me like glue. (laughs) Sometimes I buck against it, nobody wants me to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. I wanna make other stuff than just be known for pie. Then on the other hand, you know my partner and my husband and my financial advisor says why are you bucking against pie when that's what people want from you and you can make it the best and you have to reconcile that inside yourself and then pursue the stuff that you are blessed enough to be really good at like why would you want to turn away something that you're really good at Mm -hmm. and there's that saying like um if it if you don't want to be good at something, like what is the thing?
1: <laughs> do you guys know what I'm talking about? That one thing where it's
4: like, don't don't learn don't practice something that you don't want to be great at. I something like that.
1: That sounds good to me. Something yeah. of that nature,
4: and that's true. Yeah. If you don't, if you want to start a new thing and you want to start, you want to create a product, or you got to think in advance. Like, do I want the? If this is the thing that takes off, like, do I want this thing to follow me and be my thing? Right. Mm-hmm. And when I entered a pie contest in 2012, I did not think that I was just like, yeah, I want to win. You're
2: like, this pies me. Yeah,
4: then I won. And then I was like, oh, man, five years later, six years later, I was like, can I not talk about pie again? I'm back on talking about pie. It feels good. It's like a relationship. So I don't know. It's life is weird. Yeah.
1: Cool. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you, Kat. Uh, Alicia, come on down.
3: Hi, Alicia. Alicia Cho. I'm a food photographer. I did not study photography. That's probably why you're so good at food photography. <laughs> um, big fan of your work at and Angelina. Also big fan of Sean's restaurant at Simbal. Got to eat there a couple times. So, awesome. um, I'm just curious on how your partnership with him and his partnership with you has influenced your cuisine in, in his cooking and also your baking.
4: Um. I'm really inspired by Sean's cuisine, and I'm really inspired by his talent. And um, we have sort of opposite personalities. His creation is very meticulous and organized, and my creation, as I've explained, is difficult to uh, pinpoint, does Mm -hmm. not happen when I want it to, and requires a lot of fluffing. So I try to lean on Sean's meticulous nature to help me. And he does help me a lot when I'm trying to work out a problem. So we have a very good working relationship that's like the best kind of brother and sister, but with like um, the ability to collaborate, which is rare. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the inspiration flows both ways. In the beginning, when we opened Fiona, Sean was trying to create a menu that was inspired by the space and me and um, something new and you know the last person that asked a question um the expectation was something that was different than that and so mm-hmm. now we're kind of i really want to showcase sean's vietnamese side and his cooking because i love that food yeah and i think we need to see more of places like that that don't follow like the homogenous la breakfast lunch thing that happens right right so obviously that's a huge Im- inspiration from him in my direction because I want to provide the platform for that and facilitate that. So you'd have to ask him about the other part. I'm sure he's like annoyed by me (laughs) most of the time, (laughs) but, um, there are, there are moments and glimmers of mutual support and and inspiration and respect that are make our daily life pretty great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Alicia. Yeah.
1: Um, all right. We'll have one more. Jasmine. Hi.
2: Hello, I'm Jasmine Brielle. Um, first of all, I think I can kind of speak for everyone and say that we really like your character. You're,
3: <laughs> you're cracking us up over here. Thank
2: you. Um, but my question is, um, where do you find the uh, confidence to, um, I guess, see yourself as a culinary authority? I think some people who may not have gone to culinary school, like myself, um, kind of l- like lack that a little bit sometimes.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so where, does, where do you kind of uh, draw from that? Ooh, well, um,
4: most of the time, uh, I think everyone struggles with confidence naturally. And it, I actually think it's a really good thing to have questions like that. Um, I think it's important to listen to those questions and then like decide which part of it is bullshit and which part of it is, uh, good. Like, which is the part that self-doubt and which is the questioning process in your voice that's going to, um make you better if you're not asking questions about your voice and your um, confidence then like you're a zombie (laughs) and (laughs) no one wants to listen to that anyways um I try not to be mean with opinions Mm -hmm. um that's for inside voices that's for like between you and your bestie and I practice a lot I'm not gonna lie if I want to like First of all, anti-hot takes. That's another thing. I don't think hot takes are useful. Um, Especially food hot takes. I used to be into it. Remember when Yelp started? You're all too young to remember. But it was just like hot take city. And I got into it because it's really exciting. You know the excitement of like bitching about something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So like you have to graduate from that step into um, critical. Right. Right? And like... A good way to do that is to read other people's work that you appreciate and listen to other people that you appreciate and like hear what they're saying when they're critiquing something. So we have a lot of writers in LA that are forming opinions and that's wonderful. And then I think like if you're going to if you really want to develop an opinion about something like food, you have to open yourself up and eat whatever and talk about it all the time and mm-hmm. then eventually you'll get comfortable with how you're going to deliver that opinion and also I practice in the car and I practice I mean I do like if Uh, I'm gonna if I want to talk about a subject or something like that yeah I practice Mm -hmm. there's no shame in practicing or writing it down and reading it out loud like why are we afraid of stuff like that it doesn't instantly have to come from your brain and go on the internet (laughs) there used to be a step in between right That's where we are where we are. Yeah. So revisit the step in between. <laughs> and maybe after 24 hours, we'll be like, that opinion is garbage. <laughs> yeah. And then
1: you'll make a new one.
2: Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you, You're
1: Jasmine. Um, all right. Really quick before we wrap up with Nicole, there are some beautiful pastries here on this table. Can you tell us what you brought from Fiona?
4: Yes. Well, I had Ian, my pastry cook, make a selection. So he chose these items for you of various donuts and some blueberry scones and our chocolate chip cookie Mm. and the donuts are from Kofax my business partner and I have a coffee shop and they sell donuts and breakfast burritos and the cookies and the scones are from Fiona
1: thank you for bringing them thank you for being here Nicole
4: thanks thank you (laughs)
1: And thank you to our amazing
2: crew of folks who joined us this morning. I want to give you all a round of applause for showing up early. Thank you. Participating, and to all of our guests for coming this morning and bringing their delicious fare. Um, again, we had Caitlin Sullivan from Honey High. She brought no FOMO smoothies. Um, we had Allie Walsh, as well as her partner Casey from Canyon Coffee um, with their Peruvian uh, amazingly delicious coffee. And we also had, of course, Nicole Rucker from Fiona um, bring us all of these delicious pastries. Um, and before we wrap up, we want to again thank the Lion Hotel um, here in Koreatown in LA, but also in Adams Morgan in DC, where we normally record this podcast. It's been a total blast, um, doing this with you all. We hope you had as much fun as we did. And, um, we're really excited to get to know all of you today, but, um, as Pineapple LA continues to host events and, and hopefully podcasts here too. Um, we hope each of you, uh, you know introduces yourself to one another i know we're still on the air but it's like a huge um principle of pineapple that you know we of course build community together and so um going out of your way to say hello to someone you may not know um this is the perfect time to do that we're all here for a reason and that's to build community through food and so please um say hello to someone and the next time you go out to a restaurant um you know whether it's honey high or fiona uh um, like say hello to their team, and um, I think that's also a really beautiful way to build community. No matter where you are in the spectrum of you know consumer, producer, entrepreneur, you name it.
1: And two more plugs before we sign off. Special thank you to our friend and producer Jack for being here from Full Service Radio. Um, and please, please, <laughs> yes, round of applause for Jack. He deserves it. He came in from DC to do this, amongst other things. Um, And follow Pineapple. We're Pineapple Collaborative on Instagram, pineapplecollaborative.com. We have a newsletter, lots of things happening, and we'd love for you all to join us. Thank you for being here.